Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready to be energized and have some serious fun. This is the Energetic Education Podcast, introducing your host, Dale Sidebottom. Welcome to episode number 15 of the podcast, and this will be our last episode for 2016, and what better way to do it than with another fantastic interview from my good friend Nathan Horn. Uh, This episode is going to be fantastic. Nathan's going to be talking about teaching overseas, um, his journey to being uh, sort of a really huge influence on online teaching and teachers around the world and much, much more. So guys, have a fantastic Christmas and New Year and look forward to speaking to you in 2017. Really enjoy this interview today with Nathan. It's fantastic. Cheers. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to episode number 15 of the Energetic Education Podcast. Now, today we're very fortunate to have a fantastic guest all the way from Singapore, Nathan Horn. How are you, buddy? Good, thanks, Dale. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, mate. And uh, yeah, thanks for making the time to obviously be on the podcast. And uh, it is a new podcast, and you are the second ever guest that I've had after Jared Robinson. So, really great to have you, mate. Lucky me. Lucky Lucky me. It's, uh, I'm sticking with the theme of Australians at the moment. Uh, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll branch out a little bit more, mate. But, uh, yeah, how are you going anyway, buddy? Good, yeah. I just uh, got to work for the morning here in Singapore. So um, it's 7.30 here in the morning. I've got about an hour before my first class. So what better way to spend it than to have a bit of a chat with you? <laughs> Fantastic, mate. Now, just a little bit of a rundown of what we're going to cover today, a little bit of your teaching background and everything like that. And then basically, I'm really interested to find out how you got into sort of the international schools and teaching overseas. And then we'll go through all the amazing other things you're doing and why you're such a big name in in not only teaching, but PE around the world. Um, So to start off, mate, let's, uh, you're you're a Tassie boy, so you're born and bred in Tasmania. Um, Let's talk a little bit about obviously growing up in Tassie and uh, how you become a teacher and things like that. Sure, yeah. So, yeah, grew up in um, Tasmania, was born um, and raised in Hobart um, and was very lucky to come from a very active family. Like, my both my parents are very active. My dad was heavily involved in um, coaching uh, AFL when I was younger. Um, my mum was a star tennis player. So, as a kid, we always had plenty of opportunities to get out there and be active, which I think definitely contributed to... Um, the love that I have now of, of sport and being active. Um, so I went through school in Hobart, then um, was going to head to university, went to the University of Tasmania in Launceston. Um, I wasn't 100% sure of what I wanted to do. I knew I was interested in sport, um, wasn't necessarily so edu- interested in the education part of it. Um, was thinking more along the lines of the sports science or um, at that time the degree was called a Bachelor of Human Movement and you could go in three ways. You could go... Um, education, you could go sports management or sports science. And I was, I was pretty interested in the sports science yep. um, side of things. And then got to uni, um, got started with it. And probably after, I guess, probably the first year, realized that like the science was, I mean, it was, it was difficult. It wasn't too difficult, but it just it didn't interest me in the, in, as, in the same way that I thought it might. Um, and I probably also looked around and thought like, what, what's the actual end product here? Like what job am I going to be able to be able to do once I come out, if I do this sports science, um, stream. And so I sort of put that on the back burner a little bit. Um, and around the same time, um, because the first couple of years of the degree were very generic, we had done a teaching, um, prac or experience in a school. Um, and I really enjoyed that. 
so I thought, okay, well, maybe that, this is what I want to do. So I went down the education path um, and, yeah, graduated with Bachelor of Human Movement in Physical Education. Um, and, yeah, it's probably from there that I get into the next part of um, the journey, which is, which is heading overseas. Yeah, and, and for me, like I've obviously travelled overseas and everything like that, but to teach overseas, I've never, I've never really thought of that until obviously Twitter opened my eyes and things to this, but what made you want to go to international schools and work throughout Asia and things like that? Yeah, um, probably the, so the initial thing was um, when I was at university, um, definitely coming from Tasmania, it's a beautiful place and I, and I love it, but it is a very small place yep. um, and opportunities are limited and I think you'll find whether it's education, pretty much any, any um, sector, a lot of young Tasmanians will leave at some point, whether that's just to go to Melbourne or whether it's to go overseas, but just to get out of Tassie and, and to have a different experience. So there's that history there of, of sort of young people um, leaving Tassie. Okay. Um, and when I sort of like towards the end of university, there was a lot of talk around there not being a lot of jobs um, available um, for graduates due to like an aging workforce and, and stuff like that. So there was sort of that that impetus there of like, I don't know if I'm going to get a job. What do I want to do? Do I want to go to Melbourne? Do I want to go um, somewhere else in Australia? Do I want to go overseas? Um, and there was a group that came into our uni towards the end of our last year who were recruiting for um, overseas teaching, specifically in the UK. And I know you've been to the UK as well. Yep. Um, so they came in, I think it was one of the teaching agencies, and just basically said like, oh, if you're thinking about going overseas is a really good option. You can go to the UK, you can get some work as a relief or supply teacher, um, still travel, sort of sounded like a pretty good deal. Um, so in the end, it was myself and three of my um, university friends. Uh, we all decided, let's do it. Um, and so we graduated in November. We did a little bit of work, supply work. Um, I did a bit of supply work in Tassie before, up, right up until um, Easter. And then I left at the Easter of the following year and, and went to the UK. Cool. Uh, I know we've spoke about this before, mate, and uh, I've done. I did exactly the same thing you did, probably a couple of years after you. Um, yeah. And but I, I didn't obviously go on and on teach at the international school scene. I just taught in uh, the UK, which I thoroughly enjoyed and things like that. Now, from the UK, obviously Australians go over there, and the the chance to travel and things like that are amazing. Just due to due to the fact that you know Australia is such a big place, and we're so far away from everything. So, how from just teaching supply and teaching in the UK did you end up being a global superstar teacher? Um, yeah. So while I was in the UK, I did a lot of supply work, which involved um, teaching anything from kindergarten to grade 12 in a variety of different subject areas. I've, I taught very little PE yep. um, while I was teaching supply and then I ended up at a school. Um, I was heading out there on what I thought was a one-day contract um, and got there and they were like, all right, so you're a new teacher and here's everything you need to know and we're gonna, you're going to be here for good, um, which was I wasn't expecting, but it ended up being great. It was a special needs school for kids with um, learning and behavioural difficulties. Okay. And I was teaching grade nine, geography, history, math, science, English, everything. Um, <laughs> so no no training, uh, just straight in the deep end, which I think from my teaching practice, right, if I think back about it now, was really, really good because um, I had to think on my feet. I had to be flexible. I had, had to um, do research. I had to do all of these things that make, um, make you a good teacher. And I had to do it pretty quickly because the kids that I was teaching needed the help. Correct. Um, yep. 
so I did that, and I did that for two years, and I actually didn't really want to leave the UK, but around the time I was there, there was a lot of changes in the visa laws, um, and so for me to be able to stay, I would have had to come back to Australia, reapply for my visa, um, which was taking anything up to six months before I could head back. Okay. So I didn't particularly want to leave, but sort of was, was forced out by that, and I knew that I didn't really, like going back to Tassie wasn't really an option for me um, at that point, so I was thinking about, well, what else could I do? Where else can I go that's going to sort of feed this this love of travel that I had and um, the lifestyle that I was enjoying being overseas? So I, I sort of had heard about international schools um, and I sort of knew that there was these things like these teaching fairs or these job fairs where you could go and there'd be all these different schools from all around the world and you could get a job at one of these schools. So I thought I'll, I'll try that. Um, was wildly underprepared for, for what that actually meant. Um, and yeah, it was very unsuccessful at my first job fair. I didn't get a job. Um, went in there fully expecting to, to walk out, um, the next day with a job somewhere else in the world and walked out pretty, um, depressed and down about the fact that I didn't get a job. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, that was an eye opening experience. And, and then I was thinking like, well, how can I actually, um, get, get a job? So I started just looking, applying for things online. Um, and I ended up. Ended up actually heading back to Australia with no job, um, but still looking. Did a little bit of supply work in Australia and then found a job in Cambodia at a, a very new international school. Okay, cool. And, so, uh, yeah. And then I suppose then that sort of started your journey, mate. So were you, was that a PE job? You finally got back into your love and teaching PE? No, it wasn't. It was um, a geography, grade 7 geography and history. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, at the time, I, I sort of think back now and I look at it and, like, I got the job in, I think it was sort of, like, towards June or July and the school was starting in August. So it was a pretty late hire. Okay. A lot of the hiring a lot of the hiring in international schools is done sort of December, January. Yep. So that gives that sort of six-month um, time period for people to get things organised and the school to get things organised for you to come. And so it was a pretty late hire and I didn't really realise at the time, like, what that meant was – Basically, they probably couldn't find someone to do that job or it was a new school um, and it was a new school. Like, I ended up having a class, grade seven, there was five kids wow. that I was teaching. So, um, it was, yeah, it was an interesting interesting experience. And so, I went went to Cambodia having not ever been to Asia before, no idea um, what I was in for. Um, got to Cambodia, it was, yeah, a lot of culture shock um, around just how poor people were um, there and um, sort of just driving around the city and seeing the, just the way that the people live, I, I wasn't prepared for that at all. And then to go into a school where you're teaching rich kids basically um, was was really interesting because it was just like complete two sides of the of the coin. You know, you, you step out the front of the school and you've got this like just poverty, but then you step inside the school and it's great, amazing facilities and these rich expat kids and and sort of this complete opposite situation so that was that was a it was a really tough um place to have that sort of first international experience um so i did the geography history and actually the pe teacher he left at the christmas break for him he lasted sort of august through december and then went home for christmas and never returned okay so i then ended up teaching pe as well on top of the geography and history so that was the first time you know like nearly three and a bit years after i graduated that i was actually teaching pe and uh, I can imagine, like I know myself when I was teaching over in London, that you just take whatever you can get and sound, by the sound of things, that's what we've done in Cambodia. So 
after three years of, you know, you've been not as passionate about your teaching, I'm sure after that Christmas break when the teacher didn't come back, you were just so in love again with obviously teaching PE? Yeah, um, probably... Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't exactly that time because like the facility, the P, the school facilities were great, but the P facilities weren't that great. Um, okay. We had the pool and stuff, and the kids were really like swimming was a really big focus, so that was good. So I got a lot of exposure to to swimming, um, which was which was good because I'd, I'd sort of done a little bit of you know that like Oz swim, learn to swim stuff when I was at uni, but hadn't had a lot of exposure to it. So that was good. Um, I wouldn't say that my love of, of PE came back then. It probably wasn't until uh, after Cambodia. I, le- I left Cambodia after a year. Um, and I got a job in Italy, um, and that was a full-time PE position. That was the first time that I had a full-time PE position. It probably wasn't until then that I actually really started to love PE again and, and, and to sort of start down the journey that I'm on now okay. um, was when I first headed to Italy. Nice. And uh, and from Italy, um, you did you go to Singapore there, or you, was there somewhere yeah, else? Yeah, yeah. So the I was country? I was in Italy for two years. Um, it was a bilingual school, um, so Italian English. Um, pretty much all the kids were Italian, so it was more Italian than English, and I didn't have any Italian language skills, so I had to learn them pretty quickly. How, how'd that um, go at the start, mate? Like without knowing, uh, it was yeah. it was it was pretty crazy because I was I, I was under the impression that they did speak. Um, English and that there was a, the English level was quite high. And I remember walking into my first um, class on the first day, and the kids are there in the gym, and I'm sort of introducing myself and saying, "Okay, here's what we're going to do today," and just complete blank looks on their faces, <laughs> like not understanding anything that I'm saying. Um, so probably like in some ways lucky because PE is you know that subject where it is physical. You can just sort of like demonstrate. The kids can see what they need to do. Um, so. It, it just meant that I had to change the way that I that I taught. So instructions became a lot less, um, more visual, um, and then my my Italian language skills improved as well. So a, a lot of the time I was teaching in you know that bilingual that setting of like sometimes I was speaking English, sometimes I'm throwing some Italian words in, sometimes I'm doing visual stuff, um, and yeah, just just changing the way that I taught. So. Um, it was a really amazing experience. The school was really great for professional development. Did a lot of professional development at the school. Um, it was the first um, international baccalaureate school um, that I taught at. So in the program that I'm in now, the, the primary years program and the middle years program. So that was a, a good experience for me there. Um, and then from there, after two years there, moved to Singapore where I've been. This is my fifth year here in Singapore. Cool, cool. And I suppose living in Singapore made it a little bit big, bigger than Tasmania. It is. It is a little bit. Probably in terms of the geography and the space, it's not as big as Tassie, but um, yeah, there's what five, six million people here, so um, definitely a lot bigger. And, and the international school um, system here, there's like there's over thirty international schools here, and some of them have, you know, three, four thousand kids in them. So it's uh, it's just you know, uh, it's definitely different. It's crazy, isn't it, compared to like what we've grown up with in Australia that. Uh, you know, the international schools through Asia and obviously Dubai where we were recently and just to see how many schools there are and how big they are is just mind-blowing. It is. It is definitely. I mean, there's like, you head out to one of the schools here and it's like a university campus. Like, they've got a subway. They've got, you know, all these these shops on campus, basically, that, like, you would expect to see in universities and it's a, it's a school for, for kids. Well, that's, I just remember being lucky enough to get lunch money once a week and getting some dim sims and sausage rolls, mate. That was enough for yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, perfect. Mate. That's really good to hear about the international schools and, and how you got there. And I, 
this sort of lead on to next. And you said that you got your passion back for sort of your PE teaching in Italy. When did iphyzed.com start? And uh, if you want to just explain a little bit about it and the service you provide, which I know is amazing. I've followed you for a couple of years now. But for the listeners out there, do you want to explain a little bit about iphyzed.com? Yeah, so it probably like... Like I said, my passion came back when I was in Italy um, and it was probably connecting online, like getting on Twitter. It was um, one of the other teachers there, the IT teacher in Italy was an American guy and he was just on me, get on Twitter, get on Twitter, you should do it. And I sort of tried for a couple of weeks and didn't see the value in it, left it and came back to it. And it was probably Jared Robinson who was the first person that I really connected with, which I think a lot of people would probably yeah. in, would probably say like he's been uh, the impetus for them getting started with technology. Um, so I connected with him. Him and Andy Vasily was another one um, and actually Joey Fife was another one as well. So the, sort of those people I got connected with online and saw what they were doing, um, conversations, got interested in using technology through my connections with Jared. Um, and then it wasn't until I went to Singapore that um, ifz.com started. Um, when I got here, again, the IT teacher um, at the school here uh, helped me get set up with a class blog for our PE program, which is um, – and I'll, I'll give the link if you want to put it in the show notes later, which yeah, is ISS Phys Ed, which is what I use um, for my school. All our classes here at school have class blogs cool. that the teachers add to. Um, so I set up a PE one and try to add stuff to that. And I saw how easy it was. Um, at that time, I was using um, a platform called Weebly. Yes. And I saw how easy it was just really drag and drop, add pictures, add text, whatever. Um, I thought I'd like to start doing a more professional um, blog for myself. And that probably came out of my international school experience as well um, in terms of not being able to get a job. Um, a lot of the feedback was you need to have um, evidence of, of what you're doing. We need to see evidence of how you're doing these things. And one way of doing that that I saw other people were doing was, was through having online blogs or portfolios and things like that. So that was probably my impetus to start it. Um, and also just the fact that for me to be able to reflect um, best is if I write things down. Okay. So yep. if I can write it down, then it, it holds more meaning to me. So blogging seemed to help me do that. So that started out when I was here in Singapore. So I think that was probably 2012. Um, and really just, like I said, started as something for me um, to build up a bit of a portfolio and to build up, it helped me to reflect on, on my teaching. And then sort of over the, the last four or five years, it's just grown exponentially. People um, were finding value in the things that I was adding to it. Um, and I was getting feedback and saying, please add more. We love this resource or we love this blog post. How did you do that? Um, and, yeah, it's just grown to a point now where it's probably, I think my, my mission statement at the moment for it is is just helping people to deliver quality physical education with, with purpose and intent. Yep. Because it started out um, in the very early days as being like IFIZ, which is inquiry and technology in physical education. And I found that, like, I was blogging a lot about inquiry-based learning. I was blogging a lot about technology integration. Um, and I got to this point where I realized that actually it's all one and the same thing, that purposeful physical education um, doesn't matter whether you're using technology or not, whether you're inquiry-based, how you're doing it. There's, you know, you can't separate these things into separate silos. Good practice is good practice. Um, and so now, yeah, my focus is really just sharing best practice or sharing good practice and helping teachers to think about ways that they can deliver their physical education experiences with more purpose. Yeah, fantastic. And it really just obviously just started from you blogging about things that are helping you or things that you're doing. And obviously that's, you know, all other teachers around the world are probably doing 
similar things or having same issues. And from there, mate, you've found a niche. And, and not only that, you're really good at what you do. But now people are craving and wanting more of your content. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been especially the last couple of years. Like, the, like I said, the first couple of years was really just um, – more for me and then the last couple of years I've been really lucky to be able to be invited to go and present at these conferences um, all around the world like I've been lucky enough to go present in North America and Europe in Asia and the Middle East um, and in Australia and like through doing that it sort of just helped me to be able to share what I think um, good practice is and, and people seem to have enjoyed the the things that I share and I think my biggest focus is when I'm sharing something online or on the blog or whether I'm sharing something in a workshop is like, how can I make this as easy as possible for people to understand um, and take back and use in their, in their classrooms when they go back tomorrow. And I think the dangerous thing there can be is often within, within the physical education space, whether it's um, online or whether it's in conferences, we, we just want new games. We want new games and new experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think what I'm trying to focus on is like, how can I get people to shift their thinking a little bit? Um, because I could, you know, you can provide, you can, you can go onto YouTube, you can find a thousand games on there. Um, but like thinking about how you can actually just change things within your context, because everyone's context is different. Doesn't matter where you like where you are. Where, if you're teaching PE, it's going to be pretty similar. But the kids you're teaching, the equipment that you have, the space that you're you have available to you is going to be different. So how can you just change? some little things about the way that you do it to just make it a little bit um, of a better experience for your kids. Yeah, cool. And, and I know from when I was with you in Dubai and, and listened to your keynote and not only that but the masterclasses you were running, that the questions that you were throwing at teachers and things about what they're doing and their concepts and, and mixing up their lessons just by adding or taking away simple little things, you've got completely different lesson plans. And I think for teachers out there, a lot of the time we try and find new games or we're trying to find the brand new thing, whereas you've already got something good and if you just tweak it a little bit, you know, you've got a completely new different skill set. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that I've been working a lot on at the moment is, is that idea of like um – modifying or changing games like we have these games already and, and i think it's really easy as physical educators just oh well, we're gonna play basketball or we're gonna play soccer or we're gonna we'll do whatever but like actually those games are really good if you can modify them in a way that's going to help students to gain understanding of different tactical complex um, concepts or different ways of working as a team and, and there's things that you can do to modify games whether it's modifying the equipment modifying the space modifying um rules um exaggerating different parts of the game that helps students to, to gain understanding that they're going to be able to transfer not only within that sport but across different sports and across different movement experiences. Correct. And, and basically that's teaching them overall sort of life skills as well and these skills will help her in later life, you know. And, exactly. And that's that's the biggest thing. And I think it, it really upsets me and I know a lot of other PE teachers are the same that people get this perception that PE is just about kicking a ball or throwing it around, you know, whereas we're actually teaching kids life skills and valuable lessons that will help them live a healthy life. Yeah, there's a, there's a quote from the UNESCO Quality Physical Education um, Guidelines document that was put out a couple of years ago, and if you haven't read that, make sure you, you definitely check it out. There's a quote in there, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing right now, but basically says something along the lines of that physical, physical education is the most effective means for developing um, the social, emotional um, skills that people need to be active contributors to a community. Yep. Doesn't talk about doesn't talk about um, being um, fantastic sports people. Doesn't talk about being um, you know fit and strong. And it talks about being active and and um, contributing to a community and being global citizens. So you know 
if if the UN has, has identified that PE is the most effective form of doing that, then I think you know we should feel really lucky that we get to do that every day. We get to spend our time with our students, helping them to become better people. Correct, and shaping them for obviously a healthy and happy life. And and I really agree with that, mate. And uh, I suppose that sort of leads me on to where I'm going with next. And I'm really excited for you that. Uh, you're branching off now and, and not only you're presenting at conferences all over the world, but you're starting to run your own workshops. Um, would you like to, yeah, obviously tell us Yeah. started 2017? Yeah, well, I've, yeah, I've been lucky enough to be able to present at conferences and stuff and um, I've done a few like standalone workshops and, and things in different um, parts around here in Asia. Um, and I had one coming up in January um, 2017, so January 21st. It's going to be in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Um, Saigon South International School, and it's going to be a full-day workshop um, based around that idea of physical education with purpose. So we'll touch a little bit on game design. We'll look at assessment tools and assessment strategies. We'll look at how you can use technology and just basically how you can deliver a more well-rounded physical education experience for your students. So um, if anyone's interested in heading over to Vietnam in January, um, I'd be more than happy to uh, to have you there and, and to spend a day with you and um, explore physical education with, with purpose with you. So, um, yeah, it's exciting to be able to, to get um, into different parts of, of Asia and um, around the world and, and share share with people. And I think for me, it's also a learning experience. It's great to be able to see what um, other people are doing in their programs and what um, other people's contexts are. And, and it helps me to grow as a teacher as well. And when I try and run my workshops, you know, like it's not a lot of me just standing up talking. It, it is very hands-on and it's collaborative and we try and work together. And, you know, if other people have ideas they want to share, then then by all means, I'm, I'm always happy for people to share. It's just a, a great way to spend time together with other physical educators um, in a space where we can sort of work together and learn. Yeah, perfect. And and for anybody, though, I'll, I'll actually have a link to your upcoming workshops and everything like that. And I can vouch for everything you've just said that, um, you present amazingly, uh, your content's fantastic and not only that but it's a collaboration and networking that happens at these events so if you are free in January I would highly recommend a nice little trip over to uh, see Nathan and book in for his day's event so as I said mate I'll chuck all those on my uh, show notes Great. so Thanks, um, now this is where I get a little bit uh, I've got my questions and I really like firing these on my guests so I've got three different questions mate you up for these? Go for it. Cool. All right. I suppose the first one here, and I'm always interested when I meet teachers from all over the world and get chatting to them, that what made you want to become a teacher, Nathan? And I suppose, did you have any influences? Or I know you said your parents were quite sporty and things, but what actually made you want to become a PE teacher? Yeah, so I sort of touched on it a little bit earlier. Like I didn't really want to be a PE teacher when I first went to university. Um, and that changed pretty quickly. Like My mum is a teacher. Yep. Um, she actually trained as a PE teacher, but actually never taught PE. She was always taught, teaching classroom. So um, I'd had that exposure to, to what it meant to be a teacher and to see what my mum did and stuff like that. And actually, she probably told me um, before I went to university that um, being a teacher wasn't all that great, and maybe I should think about doing something else. Um, and I think actually, what she, I think actually what she was doing was she knew me and she was trying to psych me out. She knew that by telling me not to do it, that I would do it. Okay. Um, so yeah, sort of. I think it just like. To be honest, like it just came naturally to me. I think I think once I got into a school and I, I had that first um, teaching experience, I just realised that actually like, this is something that I feel pretty comfortable with and I feel pretty like I, I'm good at and I can have a, have a big impact. So um, obviously that love of sport um, drove me down the PE route. I think 
you know, having had that experience of not teaching PE and teaching other things, like it's not so much about the PE, it's just about the fact of being able to, to work with with kids and, and to, to learn alongside them and, and to help them, I think, um, probably is, is the thing that drives me every day. Yeah, fantastic, mate. And I, I think that's really, really good. And, you, and you, when you obviously speak to a lot of teachers, it, uh, they've always had some sort of positive influence in their life and growing up in a sporting family obviously does that. And I think you just mentioned how important sport is. Now, mate, um, where this uh, podcast goes, and I really like education breaks, and as you would have seen uh, a lot of the stuff I do, I really like giving teachers quality content to engage students. So um, here, what are your three top education breaks? So they could be apps, games, songs, anything that you use that might be of really good value to the listeners out there. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. So, like, uh, uh, one strategy I use, and I got this from Andy Vasily, is the idea of walk and talk. Um, and often what we do as teachers is we're having discussions or class discussions and stuff like that. There's a lot of just, like, sit down and let's let's have a chat. And actually the idea of walking and talking and giving kids the opportunity to move while they're having those discussions. Oh, yeah. So often what we'll do with, with, with kids is, like, oh, you know, we'll ask a question, we'll have some sort of provocation for the lesson or – um, we're having a discussion and it's like, all right, go and walk and talk and just, just they can just move around whether it's in the gym or the field and whether they're in a, a pair or whether they're in a group, just having that discussion about what's going on. I find that that helps engage kids more within the discussion because if you're just having them sit down in a group, you're always going to have those one or two kids who answer all the questions and you're going to have those one or two kids who are not listening. And so sort of getting them up and moving and, and asking them to have conversations with their friends, um, I find works really well. So that's one thing that I've, I, I use a lot is that, that idea of walk and talk. Yeah. Um, no, a second one, a really great one, which I think um, a lot of people use already, Go Noodle, um, the website Go Noodle, which yep. has just a heap of different um, activities and little dances and, and brain breaks and, and all these different things that can just sort of get kids re-energised, especially if you're a classroom teacher. Yeah, um, really it's all important. it's all free. Um, so that's another one. Think of a, of a third one. You put me on the spot. I know, um, mate. I like uh, I like doing this to. Uh, yeah, I did the same to Jared, and he uh, he got a little bit stumped as well. But I think it's a really yeah. good way. You know, just straight off the cuff, so you can't think about it because these are the yeah. activities that you normally go to, and and that's I think the best quality for our listeners. Yeah, um, I don't know. Like I think for me, it's a lot of the times it's being able to read your, read your class and know where they're at and know what they need next, um, whether that's completely changing activity, whether it's, you know, just scrapping something if it's not working very well. Um, so I, I don't know that I can give you one, no, that's all right. I one think... more exact thing, but I think just that idea of, you know, if you are able to diagnose and, and see where your kids are at and, like, what their energy levels are like or what their – you know, if they're engaged with what's happening and, and then being able to just change what you're doing pretty quickly. And a lot of that is having having a bank of ideas or a bank of resources, but a lot of it also is like having purposeful planning behind you and knowing where you're going and what the end goal is and, and how you can change. Just change the, the route doesn't mean that you're going to change where you want to end up. It just means you're going to take a different direction together. Yeah, and I like that. And I think the big thing there that you mentioned is basically knowing your students if you understand your students, how they learn and everything about them, then you'll be able to see when things aren't working or you need to mix it up or things like that. So I think without yeah. giving an actual education break, what you just said then was a wealth of genius, mate. So um, there's your three. Fantastic. Thanks for those. I'll have those in the show notes as well. And just my final question, mate. 
best advice for a new teacher. So that may be if they want to go teaching overseas or um, if they're just starting out or just some words of wisdom from Nathan Horn, please. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think, like, I'll, I'll touch on that going overseas bit because I get this question quite a lot from people um, about, like, well, how do you get overseas and I want to do that and how can I do it? I think, obviously, it's um, before you do it, definitely build up um, – some sort of portfolio, some sort of evidence of, of what you're doing already. And I think that's going to help you um, to get a, a really good um, job internationally. Um, don't limit yourself to saying, oh, I only want to go to this country or I only want to go to Europe or I only want to go to Asia. Be open to, to a lot of different places um, and know that probably the first couple of years is going to be difficult because um, it's hard to get – there's, I guess, different – <laughs> Sorry, different tiers of international school. Um, sort of like a lot of the, the what's considered lower tier schools are the schools that you're probably going to go into as your first as your first job, and that and that was sort of the school in Cambodia. New school, just establishing itself. Um, sort of all the the issues and, and things that come along with that. So, but once you sort of get into the system, you can you can learn more about schools, and you can realise, okay, this is what a good school looks like. Here's what I need to be aware of. Um, and if you have that experience, then it's more likely that you're going to get a better a better job at a better school. So just being open to the fact that it's probably going to be difficult and uncomfortable for the first year or so, um, whether it's a culture shock or whether it's a different way of teaching or a different um, curriculum, whatever, but just being open-minded and realising that, you know, even if something's difficult, you're still learning from it um, and you're still, you know, like failing is actually a really good thing because it's helping you to actually discover how you can be better. So, um, you know, there's, there's ways you can do it. You can look online for jobs. There's job fairs. Um, Search Associates is a, is a really good place to, to look. Um, they have the, their website and job fairs. Also, Council of International Schools is another one. Um, they'd be the two places that I would go first because um, they are the sort of quality control. Um, schools can't advertise through those places unless they've sort of been accredited by those companies to, to advertise. So you sort of know that the types of schools that are advertising through those companies are going to be okay. You're not going to sort of end up in a school with no walls and no equipment. And, um, <laughs> there are there are horror stories out there of, of people finding jobs online and, and going to these schools and it just not being <clears throat> anywhere near what it looks like on, on the internet. Yeah, so a little, little bit of research beforehand obviously goes yeah. a long way, I'd say. Now, really appreciate that, mate. I've just got one final question for you. Um, and for those people who do not follow AFL, um, Australian football, you might uh, not understand this, but I know you're a passionate Hawks man. How are you going to go in 2017, buddy? Yeah, I don't know. I think um, obviously we've been very lucky over the last few years um, to be pretty successful. But, um, you know, like... Obviously, as a child of the 80s, we had a very successful stint through there and then through the 90s, um, as I was growing up, was not uh, so successful. So yep. it was nice to have a little bit of success again. Um, I don't know. Hopefully, we can re- rejig our list a little bit. Um, I think we'll still be up and around there, but I don't know. I think probably where we've had our wins for now and probably the next couple of years is going to be um, a rebuilding phase. I'm really looking forward to seeing some of the some of the younger kids um, coming through. There's actually a kid um, that I taught in Hewenville. Um, in Tassie, that's uh, on the Hawks list at the moment, Jordan um, Jordan Lovell. Okay. So I taught him. I taught him um, when I was uh, just at first year at university when I was doing a little bit of teaching down there, and 
he's sort of a Sam Mitchell type. So hopefully now that uh, well, Mitchell's gone, he might get a bit of a get a bit of a shot. He could uh, jump straight into the number five games, you mate, and take that. But yeah, uh, keep a, keep an eye out for him. Okay, we will, mate. I'll put, I might put that in the show notes as well. And uh, yeah, Nathan, I'll uh, I'll leave you to it, mate. I know you got a busy day setting up uh, for your teaching in Singapore, and I just really appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. No worries, Dale. Thanks so much uh, for having me, and uh, yeah, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Perfect. Thanks, mate. Hopefully you uh, really enjoyed that episode. I know it's uh, always great when I catch up with Nate. So, guys, as I said before, have a wonderful Christmas and New Year. Look forward to speaking to you in 2017. Cheers. Bye.